when I'm with my kid, someone says, do you have a dollar? To some degree, it's not even about the homeless person. It's about wanting to ensure that my child sees that as a person. My $5 that might not help them, but you don't walk over that. You don't get inured to that. It's not ever going to be right. Even if you can't fix it, you have to look it dead in the eye. If not for the grace of God, there go I. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Okay, so today on the podcast, I wanted to start with that tagline because that's what my guest, Glenn Washington, starts every one of his Snap Judgment episodes with. And I've always wanted to start that way. Glenn Washington is an incredible producer, educator, diplomat, community activist, actor, political strategist, fist shaker, mountain hollerer, and foot stomper. He's a composer. He composed music for dancers in San Francisco. He's rocked many alive spoken word poetry jams in Detroit, around the world. He joined a band once in Indonesia, wrote several screenplays, painted a daring series of self-portraits, released a blues album, and thinks his stories are best served with cocktails. I personally think, you know me, you guys, you don't need anything to listen to his stories or his wonderful podcast, Snap Judgment, or Spooked, or all the other wonderful things he's got cooked up. You'll hear about them later on in the episode. I was so blown away. You will hear my fangirlness. I left everything in here. Without further ado, here is the extraordinary Glenn Washington. Glenn Washington, this is one of those moments in my life where I feel like I'm living in a dream world. I know you work in the arts, so I'm sure you've had those moments many, many times, as have I, but I am just meeting you for the first time live. I'm just blown away that God has gotten me to this moment, so I just want to acknowledge that. I'm very grateful to be in your presence live. For me, it was my first podcast that I listened to, so I'm sort of having a fangirl moment, so forgive me. You just blow me away every time you open your mouth, and it's not just because I've been doing voiceover since I was a little kid. It's not just the way you say things. It's the substance of what you say, sir, and I'm just very acknowledging your light right now, so... (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I don't know what to say now. We should close off on that. That sounds great. And thank you very much and good night. Um, Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I was thinking about what specifically about you and this moment is so inspiring to me. And I think I figured it out. I was praying on it. When my rabbi dared me to start a podcast, the first thing I thought of was forgiveness. And then I started doing it and, you know, you trial and error. And today it occurred to me that snap judgment, which is... If you haven't heard his podcast yet, run to your phone, shut this off and go listen. You will be a changed person when you start listening. I believe snap judgment really is about prejudging others. And I think at its core, it's about forgiveness. So please don't sue me. I haven't made any money on my podcast anyway, but don't sue me for starting my podcast about forgiveness because I think you actually affected, your show actually affected what I wanted to make my podcast about. So I want to talk about that. How did this all begin for you? I mean, I saw the behind the scenes of how Snap Judgment started. And I'm so glad you guys made that. Your story is amazing. 
You don't have to go through that because whoever's a huge fan of yours probably already saw it or will go look it up. But I want to know for you, growing up as a little boy, what made you look beyond what you saw? Interesting question. I, I, um, I grew up in a situation where we saw, I grew up in the middle of a, of a crazy cult. A lot of people who, I tell stories about this all the time, but we thought that the world was about to end at the time in the late 80s. I was born in the 70s and was growing up in the 80s and was told that I would never get to grow up, that I would never reach adulthood, that I would never marry, that there would be a return of Jesus before any of that stuff happened. And so, and that meant that everything was very, very immediate. It focuses you on the right now. You gotta, if you don't get right this moment, there's gonna be trouble. And also, it was a world that any sort of event, this is, I think it's happening in um, a lot of evangelical circles right now, but people say, if you see an event in, in the world, you go to the Bible and you say, and you match things up. And we thought we were living in the end times, in the book of Revelation. I'm using their terminology, but the unification of Europe was, was a big portentous sign of the end of days the fall of the Berlin Wall, Israel itself, the modern founding. This is a side note. A few years ago, looking at the newspaper somewhere, and a group of people decided to try to blow up the Dome of the Rock near Jerusalem to um, hasten the end of days. And I was like, that sounds suspicious. It sounds suspiciously like my people. And I looked it up. It was uh, it was offshoot of the group I, I grew up in. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but are you allowed to say the name of the group? Would you rather not? No, it was called the Worldwide Church of God. It was uh, everywhere because it was worldwide, but it was based, like all good cults are based in California. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was based in Pasadena, California. I was grew up in Michigan. They had, at the time, the biggest television show, a religious program, bigger than Falwell or anything like that. They were, at least as far as saturation was concerned, big organization. It was, but it was apocalyptic. When you, you grow up in something like that and then realize that it's all a bunch of stuff and nonsense, that these big pillars of what you consider to be reality are made of sand, then it gives you a perspective to maybe look at everything else with a different vantage point as well. When you realize that, nah, I don't think Jesus is going to come next week, actually. I think I've been a part of a big collective community lie. Trying to get out of that was a long-term process mentally to basically go back. It's community, it's belief, it's language, it's everything. It's when you say, all of that stuff, that all that whole thing that I came from, I want to rid myself of it. Now, that's impossible. But you do get to go back and pick and choose a lot. What do you want to discard? I think everyone does that to some extent. But I think that if you're a cult kid, you have a different perspective. Now, were both of your parents engrossed? And I'm, so, I'm assuming you didn't wake up and say, hey, bye, mom and dad. I'm going to this cult. Like, who who was the oh, one? No, no, no. I was born into it, essentially. Yeah. I didn't I didn't uh, make an affirmative choice to be in this organization. Yeah. Your spirit doesn't seem culty to me. In I, all I'm against, I, I, yeah. The one thing I tell the kids these days is don't grow up in a cult. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny. It's ironic funny. So how did you unravel from the people that I'm assuming you loved? Because every boy loves his mom and dad, even when they hurt, even when they hurt us. So how did you get past that? You know, it's it's still ongoing. 
a lot of the people I grew up with that organization, they are people I still love. My parents, of course, I love my parents. I think that age is such a, a great teacher that, you know, I have my own kids I can make completely different mistakes with. <laughs> and it's one of those things that's like you ease into a type of forgiveness and just assume, you know what, I think they're doing the best they could with what they had. Right. We made some very, very different choices. I think that for me, it's not healthy, useful, or even reality to assume an ill will from those people that were closest to me. Now, the organization, criminals, criminals. <laughs> Whenever you see a religious leader flying around on a private jet plane, yeah. <laughs> some, some, some things should go up, some hackles should go up a little bit. Yeah. We pioneered that sort of thing. And oh, we kind of had a reflected glory in it. Well, of course, our apostle, he flew on his private plane the way that Jesus would want. The way that, the, the, and, and we, we had some kind of reflect, that's, that, that, was, that was us. He was a representation of us. Ostentatiousness, that golden with crystal goblets and gold. I mean, it looked Trumpian from his background. I want to make sure that we don't skip over this. You said stuff and nonsense, which, by the way, is uh, one of my favorite lines from uh, Willie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Stuff and nonsense. Um, it's like one of Eric Assault's dads. If you grew up in the eighties, you know, you know, that line, every line of that movie is gold. But when you say that, I know, because I, again, I feel like I know you from your personal stories that you've shared so beautifully. So it's really not fair. Like, I feel like I know you better than you know me, but I know that you get that so much of this life is the unseen. And some would say that what I believe, if I could put myself in the same camp as you, those of us who are pioneering to try to change the world for the good, some would say that's stuff and nonsense, right? So how do you, Glenn Washington, how do you teach your own children or your own students what the difference between stuff and nonsense that's good, you know, what to have faith in that is the unseen? It's really hard. They've reversed the equation because they've taught me. I was just telling a story about my son who is still, angry is not the right word, but disappointed and me, because, says dad, um, eating meat is wrong. And I was like, why? And I, and I tried to argue it for a while. I could argue, I could over argue when he was a little kid. I'd give him some good arguments, but then he got older and his arguments start making more sense than mine did. And my real argument is, but yes, but it's tasty. That's not, that's the basis of my argument. And that's not a very good argument. And he's let me have it. The fact that him coming to that realization and that I've reduced my meat consumption by probably 95% is not good enough. It's not good enough. Dad, it's wrong. It's, it's a wrong thing to do. And I'm like, yeah, but there's lots of things that are wrong in this world. And you got to pick and choose. And I love the binary aspect and the, and the burn and the light in him. That sense of just, I don't care what someone else says about this. I don't care if I'm going to be a weirdo. I'm not going to do this. And having that fire, I mean, he's done that since he was nine. You think it's going to be a, a phase? And it's not. I, I've learned from that. To do that at an early age has been really, really cool to see. The only thing I can really try to teach, which I think is the basis of morality, is empathy. You know, I, we live in Oakland, in California. Side of my house within 100 feet 
there's people living on the street. The way that we've dealt with our homeless situation in the United States is criminal. It's like Calcutta for part of the part of the area. All the houses on the street are in excess of a million dollars, but there's people living on the sidewalk in front of them. I can't fix it. I don't know what to do. I, I try to look people in the eye when I see them. And one of the things I was trying early on, people said, well, you know, don't give money, give services or something like that. Yeah, I understand people saying it, but when I'm with my kid and my kid's there and someone says, do you have a dollar? I, it's not even to some degree, and that's selfish, really, really selfish. It's not even about the homeless person. It's about wanting to ensure that my child sees that as a person. My $5 that might not help them in, uh, directly, but you don't walk over that. You don't get inured to that. It's not ever going to be right. Even if you can't fix it, you have to look it dead in the eye. But if you want to go to sacred text, the, the biggest line that I can pull from, if not for the grace of God, there go I. That's what I want to teach them more than anything. What you do with that, you're going to go in different direction. Everyone has to find a thing that they do, that they, their light, their light is going to be very, very different than mine. I, I got to think that's the heart of any of it. Yeah. Beautiful. So after all of this time that you've been living, listening and living these forgiveness stories, I'm going to call them forgiveness stories, even though I know they're about not making a judgment right away, snap judgment, listen to it if you haven't already. After living through all these stories, interviewing so many people, was what is it like? Have you counted? Do you know how many thousands it is yet? I yeah. don't. <laughs> What have you learned about the practice of forgiveness? I, I can't say anything profound about this. I tell a lot of personal stories. From a narrative perspective, no one wants to hear the story about how you saved the day and did it without <laughs> the right decision. The stories that you tell are about the mistakes and the things that you wish you could have done better and those times where you didn't quite live up to your conception of yourself. Uh, being able to forgive yourself oftentimes is the biggest thing ever. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lesson I know I'm still trying to learn. It's all well and good to extend the grace to someone who has offended you, but carrying that's all, all shame is simply not extending that grace back to you. That's what shame is. And it's a burden. And, it's, and this is such an interesting exercise because if you go and speak to a person and say, what's your story? That story will, will be a story of trauma, a story of hurt and pain, a story you care about yourself, carry, and you, you tell about yourself. And that, that trauma, that it's even higher for women, right? Stories of trauma. What if you go, you take a step back, and you're a different entity, and you look at that person who is you in that pain? What, what, do you, what would you give to that person? Would you condemn them, or would you give them a hug? some love. If it was not you in that situation, most of us would want to embrace that person. Tell that person it's going to be okay. Tell that person that your story doesn't end in this closet or in this, in this situation or in, the, in this relationship. It ends over here and, you can, and you're going to be a better person. One of the stories, she said it so beautifully. She's talking to herself as a little girl who is crying, whose mother has called her ugly and whose hair is falling out. And she says, as an adult to herself, you have always been beautiful. You've been beautiful. You, and she's speaking to herself, but she's speaking to that little girl. That, when you talk about forgiveness, you. And as soon as you do that and you accept that from yourself, you're able to more fully give it to others. 
it's so important to, to embrace that aspect of you, to forgive you, and to, to see you. We don't extend that grace to ourselves. Yeah, it's kind of like what you said before when I asked you about your parents. You're like, well, I love them, and I, it's not even a question of forgiving them. We are. I heard recently um, from my sister, uh, who's also a very powerful soul, we're all just a hologram of each other. So whatever, whatever pain we just went through with someone else, whatever we see them as it's, it's, we put it on ourselves. So, you know, that's also about the snap. It's like, you're going to carry that story with you wherever you go, if you don't let it go. And what, every time you carry a new story of unforgiveness or judgment towards someone else, guess what? You are that judgment. <laughs> and then you keep carrying all this stuff. And it's like, do you, do you want to Marie Kondo your life and let go so you can have new cool blessings? Or do you want to just keep holding? And it's, it's really not fair because I think the way God created us is to protect and to have that fight or flight. The male genes are very protective too. Masculine energy is very like, come here, let me, you know, and I, I actually enjoy that about masculine energy. Um, and I think it's so necessary. We all have it within us as well. But kind of like we got set up, you know, are you going to keep choosing fear and holding on to stories and protecting? Or are you going to challenge yourself that when Glenn Washington asks you, what's your story? You say, I've had so many blessings in my life. Let me take you through. Which are you going to carry more of? (laughs) And it's like you said, you have to forgive yourself. And then once you do that and you let go of the shame of whatever it was that happened to you, once you see it as happening for you, whatever it was. It was your gift. Anything that happened outside of yourself was a gift. Whether you don't see it yet, you will if you look for it, right? One of the things I love about your work is that whether it's a storytelling workshop or actually snap judgment, I notice that you have this wonderful way and your company has a way of spinning stories that could be otherwise traumatic into art. You know, the sound engineering alone is just, you guys, If again, if you haven't heard this, you have to go and listen. It's just so fun. It's so delicious to listen to. And you feel like you're in a movie. I started listening to your podcast because I would teach Hebrew school out of my car. That's how I made money as an actor and a, <laughs> and a singer and a producer in LA and a writer. That was my day job. It still sort of is. I was working Jewish education in all different facets of it. And I write curriculum and I would, you know, throw the books and the art supplies in my trunk. And then I just start driving around. And you know how California is. It could take you an hour to get from Santa Monica to the city of LA sometimes. So sometimes an hour and a half. I heard like, you know, two episodes and I'd have to sometimes pull over because I was so ensconced in the story that I was like, oh, I'm not driving well. (laughs) It's one of those podcasts. That if you're really in there, you know, and you're hearing it, like being inside of a movie, it's so fun to listen to. But how did you come to that? Or what have you learned in all these years of doing it about turning trauma into beautiful art? Well, I would advise anybody and everybody to, if they can, work with geniuses because they end up um, doing a lot of different things (laughs) to make you sound good. We have this amazing sound team, Pat Masini Miller and Renzo Gorio. The, the amount of music that these guys have to create over the course of a year to score every single episode that we do, um, 
I mean, the team here, we're producing about 70 different episodes between Spooked and Snap Judgment and other things. How they do it and score all this, this stuff is just, it's really stunning. One of the things I was very, very fortunate with, I think a lot of creators, they ask writers or radio producers or maybe whatever it may be, when you're started, how do you do that? You know, how do you make something? I had a creative part. We're doing a lot of different things. We're throwing various darts at the board from screenplays and music and all kinds of different things. But I had a partner who, who understood what I was trying to do. He understood where I was going, even if I didn't get there. And that's so important to find a person who can be genuinely critical, but whom voice you can accept, whose criticism you can accept. If you write a story, you give it to your spouse, give it to your boyfriend, give it to your mom, give it to those people close to you. And those people will do the very best they can. They'll tell you what they think because they love you or whatever, but they may not be target audience for what you're trying to create. They might not understand what it is you're trying to do. I laugh about this, but it's true. If I write a story right now and I give it to my mother and I say, mom, what do you think? And she'll read it and she'll say, well, you know, um, this story needs more Jesus in it. Now, <laughs> it's probably, that's where she's coming from. And she's not trying to hurt me. She's just trying to say, you know, it's, if, if I was going to do this, I'd have more Jesus in it. And that's, and, um, and so the, the, the thing is to try and find a person that, if that's what you want, find a person that will say that to you. But if it's not, find a person that actually gets where you're coming from and can give you real criticism. What's great now that we're in the internet age, is that person doesn't have to live next door to you or in the same community. You can try and find people who can be your sort of creative partner um, that could be anywhere. But finding them is really important. To bounce stuff off of is, it ends up being really, really critical, I think, to a lot of people's development as an artist. Speaking of your stories, you know, thank God I've been so lucky to collaborate with incredible, like, DPs, you know, on these cheap shoots that I do to get my shows off the ground. Um, but yeah, I get that asked all the time. How did you do that? You made four documentaries. How did you just do it? I'm like, I have an iPhone. <laughs> so if you're listening and you have an idea for a documentary, I have five movies and film festivals. I don't know how it happened. I just threw them in and somehow they play. So I hope that inspires somebody who maybe doesn't have a huge show on, on NPR. You have like this endless well of stories. Every time I hear an introduction to your show, I'm like, and of course you start, you always start with the, okay, so, which is like my favorite. The very first time I heard you, I was like, wait, are we in the middle of this? <laughs> it's just such a brilliant opening. How do you keep digging? Where, where do these stories come? Or do you ever get to a place where you're like, okay, this episode's going to be about religious values. I'm done. I already told all those stories. Like, do you ever get to that? Do you get a little nervous about it? Like, Tell me how you do that. I look at a blank computer screen the way everyone else does with complete and abject horror, for sure. It's, uh, and it's hard sometimes. One of the biggest lies that anyone ever told the art community is that art is dependent upon a muse or an inspiration. This is all ass power, and which means you sit your ass down until it's done. But when we first started Snap Judgment, I've had some real crazy stories in my life. And I've tried to live, lean forward into some stories. Like, yeah, I've got a story where I was running from the 
Yakuza gangsters and hiding in a, in a ditch with, with the gun blazing over me, that type of stuff. I actually, actually truly have a few of those. We've done hundreds of episodes. I don't have a hundred of those. I got a few, and I, but and I, we came out guns blazing with those big stories, and, and people like them. But it's been interesting to me that as we go on, one of the um, champion storytellers on our show, Josh Healy, we were just talking one day, and he, basically the, the, the bet was, can you tell a meaningful, impactful story about crossing the street? And he told a story for the show. And the, the fact pattern was, I take my nephew to the water park and he goes down the water slide. That is the fact pattern. That's what happened in the story. But the telling was such that it ended up being maybe my, one of my favorite stories ever told on Stamp Judgment. And that's just it. Thankfully, as I've u- utilized all of my crazy fact patterns, it's not even about them anymore. It's about those small moments. It's about those, those um, pedestrian moments that most of the stories end up being about now. And that means that in the past, I could you know, lean on all those on plot. Now I have to lean on writing. And that's a maturity. I'm really happy to see, because I didn't know when it was happening, but I look back over the, since we started, and oh my gosh, I've become a better writer. It's taken um, a long time. I've taken the hard-headed way of this. But yeah, um, the writing has become become more important than the fact pattern of a story. Uh, What is your biggest forgiveness story? You knew this was coming. I mean, that's what the show is. So, And I know people who already know you really look up to you. And I know you've had a bunch on your show that you've already told. But for someone who maybe doesn't want the bells and whistles and the cool background music because we don't have that here what is it when i say that to you right now i know you've probably let go of a lot because through the art you've been able to probably release it cathartically but if i asked you right now what's your biggest forgiveness story what would you say today there's a man who who's a now a friend used to be my boss and there's so many forgiveness stories first of all and thankfully people have been really forgiving of me i am a hard friend sometimes a hard partner the people closest to me i'm i'm blessed that I have people who just maintain contact and friendship over decades. And I just, I feel grateful to that. And I know that it's not possible to have those type of relationships without them giving me a lot, extending me forgiveness again and again and again. Wait, I have to cut you off. I asked you this and what most of my guests, actually all of them up until now, when they hear the words, what's your biggest forgiveness story? They immediately assume that I'm asking them, who did you forgive? Who was your biggest forget? And it's so interesting that you of all people are the first person to say, ah, who forgave me the most? You have such a selfless <laughs> way about you. I don't know if you caught that. My listeners are like, why is he talking about that? That's amazing. Okay, keep going. Sorry to cut you off. Well, it's I have, it's, I've been fortunate and I'll, I'll just tell you, there's so many of these and I, I want to, I, I, without, you know, revealing some confidences, there was just, a story I told a little while ago on Snap. Before starting Snap Judgment, I used to be 
a nonprofit advocate in San Francisco. And I'll, there's a San Francisco's um, bunch of social services for homeless, for battered women, for kids services. I was an advocate for all these groups and who were try- finally trying to organize themselves together and get together and, and go to City Hall and fight from the social services they're, they're delivering. And for the first time ever, we had organized a bunch of people to get together, put a ballot measure together in San Francisco to help get some funding for these organizations. And these organizations were traditionally at war with each other because everyone's fighting for this little scrap of funding. We actually gathered everybody together and the business lobbyists go in and out of of the city hall, no problem. But finally, the nonprofit people were putting it together and they had asked me to spearhead this because I had worked in city hall and I felt really good about this. We got all these people together. We got the signatures. We got these various organized groups together. I've been I've been in City Hall for a long time, so I know I'm, I'm not going to wait until the deadline of 5 p.m. until the city closes. I got up this morning. I had a smile on my face. I went and had a big brunch, a big breakfast. We had done it. We've done all the things. I had everything. I, I double checked it all night long, had everything ready to go. And I went to City Hall, da 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 da, da da da, hey, 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 past the business lobbyists, get up out the way. Yeah, we, we players now. We're players. We're players. And I go to the registry where I'm going to turn in all these signatures, and the woman's locking the door. And I said, Oh, you're going to lunch? I'll be back. I can, I'll wait for you. No, no, no. Um, the deadline is 1230. Well, it, it, it's, 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 it's 1232. Well, I'm sorry. Um, that's just the way it goes. We have to have that mark. Uh, and she, she says, excuse me. Said, no, no, no. I have it right here. I have it right here. No, 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 no. I'm, you, you, you missed it. You missed the deadline. And she walks away. I'm the person who messed up all of this organization for a lot of different people. It was on me because I didn't understand that. No, they closed at 12.30, not the regular five o'clock deadline. And I was in a fetal position almost. And my then boss is like, you know what? Sometimes these things happen. Learn from it. And this is a firing offense. This is, what, this is when you get out the door. This is when you've, you've messed up so much. You get you this, but that's not what he did. He was just like, you know what? You know, you did the best, you could. It was so gracious. And so kind at a time when I even, I can't really tell this story without feeling that same, uh, those knife and that whole knife in my, in my own heart and the extended grace to me. And I think that that forgiveness, it makes me, when I think about that, it makes me want to be a better person, want me to be more generous to other people because I can get really, where is it? We got to get it done. We got deadlines. Da, 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 da. You never mess anything up? Let's roll tape. Let's roll tape and see what you did. Now, can you, can you be, the band's name is Bruce Fisher. Can you be Bruce Fisher? Can you Bruce Fisher, this other person who just messed up whatever you were looking for? That's my forgiveness story. That's a that's a forgiveness story that comes to mind. And I love that it was about someone forgiving you. This is a first on C1 Beautiful Soul. What have you learned about humanity as a whole by hearing all of these stories? 
and also editing your own because you know it's one thing to tell your story but then to actually look at it for production value and be like oh what is the story really about like for me I'll tell you my very favorite snap judgment I do know a thing or two about the KKK and the ADL and the ADL starting because of the KKK anti-defamation league that story and I know you know what I'm going to talk about of the rabbi who got in his car with his wife and went to the KKK members home and didn't give up until that guy had a meeting and just the whole turn of events. I don't want to say the ending because it's so worth listening to the whole thing. If you haven't heard it yet, the episode, I'll put it in the show notes. That episode, man, I've shared that with so many classes. I've shared that. I shared it this morning on my walk with a friend, you know, cause I was so excited to see you today. That was when, like, I already liked the show, but I think that was like one of the earlier episodes. And it was like, Okay, now I'm hooked. Now I got to listen to it every time I'm in the car. What would you tell your children and future generations about humanity as a whole based on all the stories you've heard about human suffering, kindness, not judging? Like, what would be that one takeaway if you could tell everybody, please do this, and then we won't have to do these stories because they they won't exist. What would be that thing? I, I think each story itself, the closest thing that we have to telepathy, to wearing someone else's skin, to seeing through someone else's eyes, is actually listening to their story. If we can't imagine ourselves in someone else's shoes, I think we're doomed. What should you do? What can you do? What has this thing taught me? Is that the spectrum of the human experience is more broad and varied than you could possibly imagine. You think you have a model of how the world works, I guarantee you that someone else's situation, but understanding it a little bit can expand that model, change that model. You see people um, have political arguments all the time and they put their fist up and they want to fight or whatever. But when you listen to someone's story, actually, because maybe the, the, the dukes are down to some extent, that's when you actually change a mind. And it happens all the time. You've never seen no one has ever watched a political show and seen anyone ever change their mind. It happens all the time, though, when you hear someone's story, when someone you actually get into where that person's coming from. And you think about that, that there is a story behind someone and the people that you despise, the people that you hate. We, we say this line, and it, but it's, it's actually true that it's very, very hard to hate someone if you know their story. And it is. If you get where they're coming from, even the most hateful person, they're coming. There's a reason why they're responding that way. There's a context. There's a context. And I'm not saying they're right. I'm not saying they should be doing what they're doing. I'm saying that they have a story that puts them there. The, the assumption that, that another person is another you and they should be making the same decisions to, that you are making is a fallacy of the highest order. People are carrying stuff. People are carrying some of the most horrific, a normal looking person who looks just like anybody else may be coming from a legacy of abuse you cannot imagine. Maybe coming from a legacy of sorrow or hurt or pain or whatever it may be. And they're just barely holding on right now. And so they're not asking necessarily for your your sympathy or anything, you wouldn't know it. But if you did know it, if you understood where they were coming from, there'd be nothing to do but, again, try to give that person an embrace. And that's not rare. They're, they're 
everywhere, everywhere you go, you look at this person and, and the stories would floor you if you knew them. I'm so thankful that sometimes I do get to know. Yeah. And because you have courage and you didn't give up on your dream of getting some stories out there now, God willing, millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people have heard some of those stories too. Um, What's next for you? Oh, we're, I'm writing a, um, a fictional podcast right now. Writing some, writing some, writing a book. We're, we're, we've got some great new sh- um, stuff coming from Snap Judgment. Um, I, we, we're, there's so much audio. This is a, what's great. Since I started, when I first started Snap, I said this before on, on somewhere, but when we first started Snap Judgment, I imagine that because we're so serious about sound, we're so serious about the music and the foley and everything like that that I thought the best place to hear this show would be on a sound stage with a glass of port somewhere we could really get it. But since then, there has been the rise of Headphone Nation, where people do this everywhere to give themselves their own little protection, their own little sound cocoon. And this is fairly recent, but it's such a gift to someone like me who, oh, you're going to really get into my world now? that I'm going to throw every single trick of the acoustic sound box to really take people for a cinematic ride. And it's, this is, we, we do have um, a playland now that we really couldn't have conceived of even a few years ago. So it's like VR for the ears or something? I think it's just, it's, yeah, cinema sound, movies of the mind. Um. I, I know that myself, um, I'm a, you know, I read a lot of, I used, like I said, I used to read a lot of books. Now I, I, I listen to, I probably listen to more books than anyone I know. And I can do that walking around the lake, going for a hike. Um, my, my apartment would never be clean if, um, if I couldn't like listen to an audio book or, when I'm doing, or, or when I'm loading the dishwasher, the last time I sat down and watched a TV show, I can't remember, but I, I do these, these stories through audio. I can do my thing and live my life and still be immersed in, the, in these various worlds. It's wonderful. Well, thanks for supporting me because I've done a lot of audiobooks, including my own, which is And Then One Day the World Coughed by Barbara Hall. I wrote it during COVID about the blessings of COVID and, and how a lot of people went home and people in old age homes uh, finally visited because at one point they couldn't, it was like against the law to visit them. And some of them actually died because no one visited them. But you're not going to like this. The very last page, spoiler alert, is about noise canceling headphones. And so my challenge to you as an audio person, an audio artist like myself, is how can we take these stories and bring them more to life? Like a night at the moth, you know, sitting down and listening in person. One of your storytelling workshops, you know, like putting it more in the hands of people in real life. I know COVID is real and we are still under certain restrictions in some places for for good reason. But, you know, as an educator, there's nothing like being live and in person with people and taking the headphones off because as much as I also love being employed and doing, I mean, I did that, the voice of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who it was, who is now, it's who was, that was my, you know, I got to voice that book. It was a great honor. 
And so kids all over the country are listening to me, maybe all over the world, who knows, you know, tell the story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, very big honor. And at the same time, you know, I, I work with kids every day and I, I want to try to get them out of the ear pods so that they can do more empathetic in-person eye pheromones, hanging out hugs. Remember hug? According to Fauci, we're not supposed to hug anymore. Oh, that's so sad. And I don't blame him for saying it. Um, I've always been a germaphobe, neurotic Ashkenazi Jew right here. You know, that's how we got out of the bubonic plague. Look it up. Um, it wasn't because of witchcraft. We actually just washed our hands. But <laughs> but at the same time, like, if we're not going to hug, we're going to die. So, <laughs> like, you know, if, we, if we're not going to take off the headphones sometimes, right? So what do you think a possible solution is? And I know this is hard because I'm not trying to kill your business. There is a time and a place for listening, but how do we get off the headphones? Again, like you said, there's a time and place. I What I miss more than anything is our Snap Judgment live show. Um, being able to go on stage and being able to have people in an audience. I expect to get back out next year. Can't wait to do so. I just, I just don't think there's an either or situation here. Yeah, me too. I talked to... Um, students as well and like how should i do this how should i do this like look the stuff that you guys are going to be able the types of media you have access to i couldn't even imagine the fact that you can actually design print have delivered a comic book within a week is something that a little me would not have been able to even conceive of the the melding of music and, and sound i think there's a there's a podcast that we featured a little while ago from the UK. Uh, this is George's podcast. The the melding of poetry and music and story. Every time you think, okay, we've reached the pinnacle, someone throws down a gauntlet in a different way. A comic book too that I grew up with, author that I've loved forever, Neil Gaiman, did the Sandman series of comic books. That just came out as an audiobook, probably the most lush audio production narrative production of all time and it's just it's just gorgeous it's like you feel like you're you're stepping into another plane of reality putting on these headphones 50 different actors and hundreds of musicians make this thing work we didn't know that that was a thing we're just getting started yeah well cool i i hope to cross paths with you on a stage telling stories, it would be so fun. Cause I love that you get, that stories are not just about blood and guts and shock value or political agenda. I think that's also very heroic of your, of your podcast that it, I don't feel that there's an agenda when I listen to it. And it's, it's so rare to tell stories without that. And I, I just want to end with this. There was a rabbi that I had on recently. A summary is one of the last episodes of the first season. His name is Rev Hanan Schlesinger. He's so interesting. He's a really short guy, super powerful, lives in the gush of Israel. So he would be called a quote unquote settler. And one day he decided he felt this calling to go about 500 yards from where he lives and go visit a Palestinian camp of where people were, were living. And his wife was like, what are you doing? You need to bring a gun. And he's like, no, I'm just going to go and I, I want to just see what happens. And he was very shocked to find a circle of, of Israelis and Palestinians sitting in a circle. He had been invited uh, by a, a fellow Israeli. And uh, 
that's how his organization New Roots began, where um, all they do is sit around in a circle and tell stories of trauma, of uh, beauty, of heroic moments and joy and pain. And little by little, or in Hebrew we'd say, layat, layat, slowly, slowly, they're changing Israel. Believe in his work so much. And all it is, is what you just said. It is storytelling without any production. It's just like, and it's painful and it's hard for people of either side to sit and listen when things happen. Accidents, um, vicious things, terrorism, the IDF, doing the wrong thing, whatever it is. And, uh, and yet, by sitting and listening and hearing the story that someone with a hijab comes with or with an IDF, you know, gun or someone with payas and a kippah comes with, you you take that snap judgment and you put it on the side and you just, you're, you're just an audience and you're listening to the context of this person. So I love that. I love that that is yours to the younger generations to come that, you know, story itself and asking people what their story is instead of headlines and news. I know you said before, you have nothing to promote and I really admire that, but if there's anything specifically you'd love for people to listen to, even if it's not your own work or um, how to get in touch with you, all the things we want to hear. No, uh, definitely check out Snap Judgment. Um, we have a spinoff podcast called Spooked. It's a season of Spooked right now. Um, um, I think it's really an interesting, cool show to hear people talk about stuff that um whether you believe in their supernatural experiences or not you don't think they're lying to you and um it's just a lot of fun um check them out i think i i uh, i love storytelling i love the people i love all the snappers around the the land around the world and i and i i'm grateful to everyone who's made it so that we can we can tell these stories well, I want to say thank you again for all your time. So very generous of you. You've got a beautiful family to attend to. And, you know, the fact that you took a moment to share your beautiful soul with me and inspire other people to see more of a beautiful soul uh, means a lot. And I want to wish you a great weekend. And thanks again for coming up. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much for having me. And now for some nuggets of wisdom from the one and only Glenn Washington. Forgiveness is complicated. Sometimes it takes time to work through it, and the trick is to not look for malevolence in it and to remind yourself they did the best they could, and let's love them anyway. The best thing we can do is to teach empathy to our future generation, which Glenn believes is the basis for morality. Learning how to forgive yourself is sometimes the hardest person to forgive. Shame happens when we don't forgive ourselves. What are you going to choose to hold on to? the pain and suffering of your traumatic story, or the blessings of it. Whatever is happening to you, or to us, happened for you, or for us. So how can you discover how it was for you? Forgiving yourself is the greatest forgiveness that you can do. Find a person who can be a creative partner, who can give you notes, and whose opinion you respect, and who is in your demographic or the target audience you want to relate to. Someone who gets where you're coming from and who wants to support you and your work. Glynn was and is, up until this point, the only guest who shared a story about someone forgiving him as opposed to him forgiving someone else for something they did to him. And what did his boss at the time say to him in response to what some would consider 
and almost unforgivable action, he said, Glenn, these things happen. Learn from it. And when his boss said this to him in response to something he considered a grave mistake, Glenn extended grace to others because the grace that his boss had given to him was so giant, it made him become more generous with others in that moment. When asked, what can we give to future generations for making the future brighter? He said, quote, story itself, end quote. If we all knew the stories we all were carrying around, no one would hate another person. Every person, even the most hateful of words or actions of another, is coming from a world of context that we probably know nothing about. There are so many ways to tell stories, theatrically, meaningfully, and to change the world. We are just getting started. And if you have any great stories that you'd like to share with us, please DM me on Instagram at Barbie Heller or find us on our Facebook page at C1 Beautiful Soul or our C1 Beautiful Soul Facebook group. You can direct message us there. You can also write to us at info at barbheller.com. I'd love to hear from you if you have a great forgiveness story. Or if you just want to share one of your magical stories, you can also join us at www.speakmymagic.com for my online course, which is now happening a couple of times a month live on Zoom. You can DM me to get involved. And uh, it's wonderful. We have people telling stories, writing children's books, making films, making content, uh, writing songs, uh, musicals, one act plays, movies, scripts. It's pretty cool. And I'm very excited to say that it's doing very well and we're still going. So, and we're still growing. Uh, So thank you so much. And I hope that you are seeing one beautiful soul right now. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.